Good morning. I am Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM, located on the beautiful campus of Seton Hall University. I'm back here in the studio with Ms. Rosemary Osman, the CEO of Rose Communications. Rosemary, welcome back. Glad to be back. Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed our conversation last week when we were talking about uh, the different aspects of leadership. But when you're looking for new candidates for your firm, uh, what type of leadership traits do you look for? What's most important to me is someone who is really a self-starter, which is a term a lot of people use when they're writing job descriptions. Um, but it's, it's very, very important in an entrepreneurial setting to hire someone who appreciates that entrepreneurial spirit and makes that part of, of their own work style. I also am interested in hiring people who have a, an intellectual curiosity, a really unending intellectual curiosity, because what we do involves learning different businesses. And if you don't have that curiosity, then you really can't immerse yourself in a client organization and learn how to tell their story for them. And um, I would say a third trait would be someone who knows how to work well within our team. That's criti critically important, especially with a, a boutique PR firm, that they fit within the chemistry of our firm. Is there a particular type of social style uh, that is a common trait within your colleagues? Or do you have folks who are from the various different social styles? Someone who is uh, analytical, someone who is uh, a driver, we definitely have very different styles, and I think that's what makes us work. Um, you know, last time we talked about how we challenge one another, and I think it's those different styles. Um, you know, we are all very intellectually curious people, but um, you know, some people are more perhaps introspective, they more thinker, and then we have other people that maybe want to just get in and, and do more quickly. Uh, we've got people who are very plan-oriented. They need to know exactly, and listening to this, probably laughing at themselves, they know who they are, <laughs> need to have a very well-thought-out sure. plan. Right. Other people who are a bit more by the seat of their pants. Fluid. <laughs> Absolutely. And um, you know, I think that there are strengths to all those different personalities and weaknesses, quite frankly. But we're very candid with one another. And there may be moments of frustration, but we all end up in a good place. You know, during our last conversation we talked about the blogs and, and the web and, and but we really didn't touch upon uh, social media mm -hmm. the effect of Twitter what do you think about Twitter and the effect it has on PR agencies it's huge I've been saying since social media came on the horizon that public relations has more of an opportunity in social media than any other marketing discipline for one simple reason Public relations has always been about a two-way dialogue with our audiences. And we listen and we talk back. We listen and we talk back. We haven't had the opportunities to talk directly to our clients, target audiences, the way we do with social media. But that respect, authenticity, transparency that you're seeing in social media has always been part of what we do. You don't put fluff and superlatives into a press release. You also don't put them into a blog post or um, you know, into your Twitter feed. So we have really embraced social media and we're doing various social media campaigns for our clients right now. In fact, we just wrapped up a project with the Radio City Christmas Spectacular. Oh. We ran their Facebook fan page and their Twitter feed Wonderful. as well as their YouTube channel. 
to promote the uh, the Rockettes' performances throughout the Christmas season. So I think social media has had a tremendous impact on the business we do. Third-party media outlets, they are still very important. Example, this radio station that we're on right now. And they will continue to have a role, but there's a lot of sorting out that needs to be done on the business models, on how those... Uh, media organizations can sustain themselves. And while that's happening, and I'm hoping in 2010 we get some more clarity on that, and we we see fewer magazines and newspapers folding. Um, But as all of that is sorted out, social media continues to gain in importance in how people are getting and sending out information. And so I think the impact has been tremendous on PR, and it's been a huge opportunity. You're also seeing a lot of traditional media using social media. Journalists get it. They get that they can't just write an article, have it appear in a newspaper, and be done with it. That they really need to create a presence for themselves using these social media channels as a way to distribute their information and have a larger audience than they would just through the newspaper. In fact, I had a really interesting conversation with someone at Meredith Publishing a few months back, and he was telling me that the Twitter feed that they have for Better Homes and Gardens drives more traffic to bhg.com, their destination website for the magazine, more than any other avenue, whether it's online advertising, search engine optimization, anything else they're doing, because they have people following them on Twitter and people retweeting what they're putting out and people tweeting links to their articles. So if you're in denial that social media is having an impact in how people are communicating, it's time to snap out of it. You know, I used an analogy. Uh, My mother's grocery store was a place where people gathered to buy stuff. They, They came there to get advice on different things. They came there to get referrals for different things. Um, my mother actually uh, would give credit to folks and a website social media is no different and that's where people are seeking advice they're seeking help they're seeking information and it's just another tool in Twitter I'm just always amazed as as to how dynamic it has become I knew it was going to be big but I just didn't know how big it was going to become and Mm -hmm. this this retweeting is so fantastic because people who are following me uh, will see something that I got from an MSNBC site, because uh, I, f- I follow quite a few folks on MSNBC. So I, I think it's an awesome tool, but also it's the, the danger of also using the proper etiquette with, with Twitter is very important as well. Mm-hmm. How do you, what do you advise your clients in regards to etiquette and using social media? It really depends on the channel, whether it's Twitter, Facebook, MySpace, YouTube. So. Uh, It's a challenging question to answer, but what is common is the need for transparency and authenticity. There's no room for spin. Um, Just like press releases, there's no room for superlatives. Um, So it's very, very important to have that authenticity as you're communicating and also to listen. You have to be as good a listener or more of a listener than you are a talker on these different channels because no one... What the expectation on those channels is that it is a two-way dialogue, a conversation. And people have very little tolerance for an organization that goes on there and just broadcasts. That's why people are rejecting traditional advertising. They're tired of being told what to buy. They want to have a conversation with companies, and that's what these channels afford. 
And do you find that your clients are actually hiring a full-time person to manage the social media, or is this something that they'll just assign to someone to do as part of their regular duties? It depends on the organization, and I, I think you have different organizations using the channels in different ways. So JetBlue, for example, Southwest, they both have very aggressive strategies for social media, and they do it brilliantly, and they both have people internally who are dedicated exclusively to running their social media channels. And it is a 24-7 job. I think at JetBlue, it, a few people share the responsibility and they're very transparent about who is talking when they're talking over Twitter. But uh, when you're in the airline business, you're flying planes all the time and people are going to have questions about delays, cancellations, waiting on the tarmac policies, whatever it is. Right. And they want to know that there's someone listening. You, you open up that channel and then they need to know that there's someone listening. And there's an expectation that they're going to hear back from you pretty quickly. Now, if you sell something where the person doesn't expect to hear from you, you're not running a business 24-7, maybe the person doesn't expect to hear from you until the next day, then maybe it's part of someone's job or something that you outsource to a PR firm like ours. So I think it really depends on the nature of the organization, the channels that they're using. That's another difference. I think people expect to hear more quickly on Twitter than they do through a Facebook fan page. Um, and then what the expectations are in that particular industry. You know, it's interesting on, uh, I guess, LinkedIn and Twitter are now connected. Mm -hmm. So if you do something on They're uh, Twitter, all connected. Is, is, is connected on Facebook now? Yeah, you oh, can. Okay. I have my Facebook and Twitter connected so that if I tweet, it automatically becomes my Facebook status update. And it says via Twitter. Ah, excellent. I got to add that. It's, I have to add that one. It's a nice little widget. And so mm -hmm. what I do is if it's something I really only want to communicate to my personal, I have business and personal on Facebook, which is another interesting challenge that people yes. have been facing is yes. how to reconcile yes. business versus personal. In my life, there's a very blurry line between business and personal. Mm -hmm. So I don't have an issue having both right. on my Facebook page, but I definitely use Twitter only for business. Mm -hmm. So if there's something that I know I want to put out to the business side, I use Twitter knowing that there are people in my business life that are also friends of mine on sure. Facebook. And there are a lot of people who I am socially friends with mm -hmm. who are interested in what I'm doing right, with right. my business. Right. So um, that's how I manage that. And there are lots of new technologies out there that make what could become a 24-7 job much more manageable. Excellent. Because you can definitely get addicted to social media. So your advice to uh, any company is that you want to make sure if you're going to use Twitter is to make sure that you have a designated Twitter person so that you don't have mixed messages coming out of your company? I think you need to take t several steps. Mm -hmm. You need to determine what your role is going to be on Twitter. So are you interested in using it for a crisis situation? Are you interested in having a customer service role? Are you looking to share news and information about what it is that you do? Um, you know, there are lots of different roles that you can have and you need to think that through before you even take a step toward launching a Twitter feed. You also need to make sure you, you get the dynamic mm -hmm. um, and like you said, the etiquette. Um, and then really think through, once you understand what the role is, and you can communicate very clearly on your Twitter feed, if you don't want to take customer service questions on your Twitter feed, you can make that very clear and post a toll-free number that people can call so that if you don't get back to them within 30 minutes of a tweet with a customer service question, you don't have a, a disgruntled customer. Um, so I think being very clear about that role 
and then determining, geez, do we need someone that is really dedicated to this all the time, or can this be part of someone's job, or can it be outsourced to an agency? Well, you know, uh, I was at a conference this past April, the Buying and Selling eContent Conference, and they had a discussion on Twitter. And you had the one gentleman was given a situation where the competitor was following their tweets because their employees in, in his firm were tweeting about stuff they shouldn't have been tweeting about. So they were getting information about their, their, their products or their customers or their potential customers that they could target. So uh, the lesson learned there was that they really need to be mindful as to who is allowed to tweet for the company. That's right. Um, it is very important for companies, whether they have a social media presence or not, to have social media guidelines, just like you, back in the olden days, had right. media guidelines. Yes. Employees always should be told what is appropriate and what is inappropriate with respect to social media channels. And um, there have been lots of best practice guidelines published. You just need to Google it and you'll, you'll find them. But it's really important that, that you communicate that because, um, you know, people... Even even if they're not authorized to speak on behalf of the company, they can still say things that could damage the company within their social channels. So it's important to consider that and to put something in place and to educate about that. Even something as seemingly benign as, I hate my job today. Right. Or, you know, right. it's, it's Monday morning and someone's posting, I can't wait for Friday. Right. And if they have clients or prospects... You know, they may not be thinking about the ramifications of that kind of message, but as a business owner, right? You know, you don't want your employees putting that Can kind you of information your, out there. Can you imagine your 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 client and you're and you're being told that oh, your project can't get done because of some particular reason, and you see one of the employees go, oh, I can't wait to get home. It's boring around yeah. here. Yeah, and it's it's a huge uh, challenge because what makes social media work is the um, you know the democracy of it all, and that. Everyone, anyone can be an influencer. Yes. Anyone can now gain a following and become a broadcaster of sorts of That's their true. ideas and opinions. And so it's changed our job tremendously because we're not just looking to build relationships with journalists. It's mommy bloggers and Twitter people and, you know, all kinds of different influencers that are using these channels. So you want to encourage that kind of enthusiasm and dialogue that people are bringing through these channels. So it's, as a corporation, it can be very challenging to encourage that. It's a balancing act, but then also provide some guidelines so that, um, you know, it doesn't get out of control and damage your business. You know, John Blossom, uh, he's the author of Content Nation. He was on our program some, some months ago. He talked about with Content Nation, everyone is a publisher. That's right. Everyone can publish their thoughts. For better ideas, or worse. For better <laughs> or worse. <laughs> That's right. But I, but I do think it does allow us to learn and grow more as a community, especially in the, the positive sense of things. Right. Uh, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about the type of clients that Rose Communication works with. Is there a particular type of client that you go after, or or is it mostly referrals and you decide at that point? Well, we we work with clients in a number of sectors. Um, healthcare. We do a lot of business in the healthcare sector. We have a few federal government contracts with um, centers for Medicaid and uh, Medicare and Medicaid services. We also do work with the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, and those have been both fascinating assignments for us to work on. Um, we also do a lot of work in publishing, so we work with different book authors in promoting their books, 
And uh, one area where we've had a lot of experience, and part of it has to do with the nature of our team, but we've done a lot more of marketing to women. We're all women. So uh, we have a lot of experience working with brands like Enfamil Baby Formula and Weight Watchers, for example. So we've really been able to take that experience and tell our story to other brands, small and large, mm -hmm. um, that are trying to reach women. And um, so you know, as far as, as what we're looking to accomplish in 2010, definitely would like to see us continue to solidify that expertise and, and grow in that way. Well, especially with Weight Watchers, I think the, the, the NBC show, The uh, Biggest Loser, mm -hmm. uh, America has a new um, attachment to losing weight because it has to do with how do you improve yourself as an individual. So Weight Watchers, that seems to be a very interesting client to work with. Mm -hmm. And you still have an ongoing relationship with them? We don't currently. Mm -hmm. We um, We actually won that business not long after we because of a previous relationship I had not long after we started the company and worked with them for a number of years. Um, but certainly a, a nice prominent brand like that has helped us get other clients in, in that sector. And what type of values do you convey to your clients in regards to why they should work with Rose Communications? I think the main reason clients come to us is because we bring big agency, big brand experience with a boutique culture, which means there's no junior level staff to be pushed off onto. Um, everyone is, is very hands-on in the work that we do. You will always have senior level attention um, because we're all senior level. Um, so it may sound oversimplified, but I think that is the greatest asset that we have that we bring to our clients. And so in a boutique setting, what that means is um, we are forward looking, we are not set in our ways, we don't have a lot of infrastructure. Um, and our clients really appreciate that and appreciate that, um, you know, we have no set plan that we're going to execute. We, we really create from scratch every time. Um, so I think those are the values that are most important to our clients. So in effect, when you, when you say boutique, it means that you're very agile. Absolutely. Very agile, very open on the cutting edge. Absolutely. And we try to also, and beyond try, we are committed to understanding our clients' business. We work out of our clients' offices if they let us. We really immerse ourselves because, as I mentioned last time we spoke, it's all about passion, having a passion for our clients, and that fuels our ability to be able to tell their story and to engage influencers in their story. And, um, you know, I think that, that that is really the key to what we do. And, um, that's what's most important to them. And how do you measure success for your clients? What type of dashboard do you use to say to your clients, we agree to this and this is what we're doing and look at what we're doing? How, how do you measure success? Well, there are no guarantees when it comes to public relations. And that's what makes measurement challenging. We know the metrics, um, but clients would always love to know that there's going to be some kind of guarantee. Um, so we look at their business objectives. We really try to understand what it is they are trying to accomplish and make sure that everything that we are doing, every strategy we develop, every tactic we recommend is focused on delivering on that bigger business objective. With public relations, we can't always tell. You know, we may get a story in the Wall Street Journal or we may get a blog post on a very prominent post, our uh, blog. Mm -hmm. And it's not always obvious, did that, story lead to a sale or an, you know, some sales. But there are many times 
You know, for example, I just put out a press release a few weeks ago and have been working on a pitch for a relatively new client that's also a new company called Mortgage Harmony. And they've developed a really interesting rate resetting, interest rate resetting mortgage product, okay. which is designed mm. to, to really accomplish something new that will get us away from the mortgage crisis that we're now facing. And uh, really fascinating product. And we got them a story in AOL Housing Watch this week, and also in an e-newsletter for one of the trade publications that they wanted to be in. And their phone was ringing off the hook yesterday. They're not doing any advertising. They're a new business. When people call and say, hey, I saw you in my e-newsletter, and I want to sell your product, then you know that it's because of That's the public working. relations. Absolutely. But, you know, it is it is challenging because it's not always that apparent. So we look at things like impressions. How many people did we reach? Did we deliver the kind of messages that we wanted to deliver to accomplish our broader story, our broader objectives? Um, and now with social media channels, it is more measurable because we can look at things like how many fans or followers do we have? How many people are retweeting our information? How many people are commenting on our information. So the level of engagement is easier to measure on social media, which is really exciting because we haven't always had those opportunities to measure what we're doing. How many doing. people coming to the website? Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, and, and you can tell how many people are coming to a website and then you can see what they do. If you have e-commerce, you right. can see are they becoming buyers. So if they came to the website because of some social media activity and then they become a buyer, then it's more trackable. So it's it's starting to change. And we live in the return on investment world. You can't get away with just saying, you know, when it's working, you'll know, which is what we used to say in public right. relations. Um, but doesn't it take time? I mean, I, I guess it does in, take it, time. Uh, in today's social media world, sure, we can see some immediate results. But I've always been of the school of thought that with marketing, it's not a one-shot deal. You, you have to have a consistent uh, program that's going to deliver a set of results. That's absolutely right. We we tell new clients before we sign on with them that we really need 90 days. And it takes 90 days to get the story straight and to engage. And y sometimes you flip the switch and everybody pays attention. It does happen. And this mortgage harmony situation I talked about, we've mm -hmm. put out two press releases and both times we've had great attention. And this is a company that no one knew about just a couple of months ago. So it does happen. And certainly that's what we aspire to with any new assignment. But it is very important to be realistic that the, the cliched snowball effect is definitely true in public relations. I, I like to say to people, there's really no such thing as an overnight sensation. It just seemed like it happened overnight. You know, Starbucks was founded in 1971, I believe, but it existed for a lot of years before it was on every street corner. It wasn't really until the late 90s that we all knew, mid to late 90s, that we all knew about Starbucks. But everybody thought it was just founded recently and then opened up on every street corner, and that's that's not the way these things typically work. They do that's take true. Uh, Malcolm Gladwell's book, uh, mm -hmm. Outliers, talks about that. Mm -hmm. People think that someone's an overnight sensation. Well, they've put in a lot of hours, 10,000 to speak, into, mm -hmm. into their success. That's Speaking right. about uh, putting hours in to start success, uh, I'm on the board of the Women's Ventures Fund, and uh, we, have, we support women who want to get started in business. What advice would you give to our audience members who are saying, I want to start my own agency? I think the first thing, and, and this is what my mentor told me to do, and I think it was great advice, and that is to write a manifesto. You really need to tap into what it is you want to do, why you want to do it, why the world needs it, and write that in a really compelling, moving way. And 
when I did that, I did that before I launched the company, and it's something I refer back to, you know, kind of make sure I'm staying true to what it was I wanted to, to do. So I think that's a really great first step. And if you're not able to do that, you probably don't have the right business idea if you can't get inspired to do it. Right. So I think that's really important. From a uh, PR agency standpoint, I think you also need to make sure you understand how the business works. So if you've not had the opportunity to direct a practice at a PR firm, you need to find someone who can teach you the economics of running a PR firm. It's not that hard, but it's definitely something you need to figure out. And I think two outside consultants that are really important, one, an accountant, a really good accountant who can help you. You still need to understand the economics of it yourself, but someone who can help you with a system to make sure that you can manage the, the profitability of the business and an IT consultant because the information technology is so important to our business. You know, anyone can start a PR firm. The resources that you need, I have the same resources as a major global agency. It's much more economical than it used to be. Um, so that really isn't a barrier anymore, but you need to have the right information technology in place and someone who can help you when problems arise because you can spend a lot of hours dealing with a server that went down or a database that's not functioning properly, and you just need to, to outsource that. So I think those are, are three things that I would consider. And outsourcing is, is a good way to get started on a shoestring budget. Absolutely, absolutely. Versus hiring all these folks to do this or do that, you, you outsource it. Right, absolutely. And, and I think the other element of, of my success early on was having a good mentor. You know, I had someone I had worked for who ran a successful advertising agency that I mentioned last time we spoke, Chuck Donofrio. And um, you know, I would get together with him once a year after I left and, and went to work for the agency in Manhattan. And we would talk about where I was with my career, what I should be doing next. And he really gave me perspective and the kind of nudge that I needed to start when I did. So I also and think having a mentor is important. And what was that nudge? You know, the, the time had come. I had received a lot of feedback from people over the years. Anytime I did a new business presentation or was working with a client, and they would say, you know, you really ought to be doing this on your own. And that was obviously very flattering and meaningful to me. But I never felt ready. I always felt like there's more for me to learn from other people before I have what it takes to do that. And I also was just overwhelmed by the idea of starting my own business. So I wanted to wait until I was at the right point. So um, like I said, about once a year after I left my job, I would talk to Chuck about what I should be doing and where I was in my position. And that third year after I had left his company and joined the other one, he had come up to New York for a meeting and we got together. He said, I want to have dinner with you. We got together for dinner and he said, it's time. And I said, really? <laughs> <laughs> and he said, you know, it's, it's time. I think that you need to get out of the situation that you're in. I think I need a PR capability. So I'm going to be able to offer you some business pretty early on. And I think you're ready. And, and he said to me, I'll offer you whatever kind of support you need. Fortunately, I didn't need any financial support, um, which is, is also the nice thing about building a service business. I'm not manufacturing something where I need to you know, get Start warehouse space capital, and right. you know, factories and all of that. So it was really um, you know, a low barrier to entry from that standpoint. And um, you know, he just gave me that, that support that I needed to you know, prove to myself that I could do it. 
And you still have your relationship with him today. Absolutely. Oh, that's fantastic. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Um, what are the insights would you like to share with our audience before we close out our program today on um, leadership? On leadership. I, I just think that um, you know, some of the things that we've talked about in our two conversations, I'll reiterate because I think I've pretty well covered it. But um, having passion, believing in yourself, and I know you talk a lot about that, um, having a mentor, getting that perspective from someone else, and um, never stop learning. Never stop learning because the moment you do that, then you're, you're on the cusp of failure. Um, and I don't care at what point you are in your career, you, you constantly need to determine what's going I mean, look what's happening now in the, the world of social media and how that's changed public relations. My industry has changed over so many times in the short time that I've been in this field. And, and frankly, when the dot-com boom happened, I thought, we'll never see change like this again in my career. I was young. I was in my late 20s. But I thought, this is revolutionary. I'm never going to see anything like this again. And here we are. I think that what's happening with social media and the decline of traditional media is as big, at least from a PR standpoint, as the dot-com boom was. And it's obviously related. It's not unrelated. Um, so who knows what the future holds? And uh, there's this whole topic of the semantic web, which uh, I will explore in future shows. But semantic technology is going to allow us to connect ideas and allow us to really um, fingerprint a whole ream of information and allow us to visualize and see it all on one page. And that's going to be very dynamic. So yeah. I look forward to uh, having you back and talking about how semantic technology has, en has enhanced the, the social web. Yeah, so maybe that's Web 3.0? That, <laughs> that is actually Web 3.0, believe it or not. There's a gentleman by the name of Mills Davis who has a paper out there on uh, the semantic web, and it's called Project 10X at project10x.com. So okay. uh, people go to the site. Absolutely. Well, Rosemary, it's been such a pleasure to have you in the program the past couple of weeks. I am here with Rosemary Osman, the CEO of Rose Communications. Rosemary, thank you. Thank you for having me. I am Darrell Gunter, your host of Leadership on WSOU 89.5 FM. Remember, leadership begins with you. Have a great week.